We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome in, everybody, to the CFP Nation All-America podcast presented by Twisted T. I'm Bill Trochi, senior editor at SportingNews.com, alongside Bill Bender, our national college football writer at SportingNews.com. You can follow Bill on Twitter at BillBender92. You can follow me at Bill Trochi and keep an eye on the main Sporting News account at Sporting News. Today, special guest, special day, Matt Fortuna from the Inside Zone is joining us after uh, one day after Nick Saban has hung it up at Alabama. So we decided to get uh, Matt in here. Uh, before we get going, Matt, uh, condolences from both Bill and I about uh, your father passing away last week. Uh, Tony Fortuna read read some uh, crazy stuff about him. Sounded like uh, you know he uh, really lived a full, full life for sure. And uh, we know that kept you out of Houston for the weekend, but just uh, – Want to say best to your family uh, right now. I appreciate it, Bill. And Bill, thanks for having me. Thanks for the, the kind words. And uh, kept me out of Houston, but this week it sure has kept me busy professionally, huh? I mean, it still feels surreal when you just said that. Nick Saban has retired. Even, you know, we all knew this day was coming. Some of us thought it may even come, you know, when it did. It's still, until you saw that Alabama press release and that Alabama letterhead saying, thank you, coach. Um, it, it, it's... It's just a reality check, right? Like I was a college freshman in 2007, which was Nick Saban's first year at Alabama. And that's really when I fell in love with the sport and really charted my my love and career covering the sport since then. And I don't know a college football, you know, without Nick Saban in that regard. So it's pretty crazy to think about just how much he literally lorded over this entire sport. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. So uh, before we get started, remember our Trochi Trivia contest. You guys went head to head last time when you visited us. We tied, right? Uh, so we got we got to settle this. Right. <laughs> Here is the Trochi Trivia question for this uh, this week. Nick Saban lost to eight non-SEC teams in his 17-year run at Alabama. See how many you can name of the eight. See, we will revisit at the end of the show. Eight non-con, essentially non-conference, postseason included. Needless to say, only one school was twice. Clearly, that was Clemson. Not not a difficult one, but we'll see how how many of the eight non-conference teams you can name that got Nick Saban when he was at Alabama. So, Bill Bender, you, you've been quiet here. Jump on in and uh, and uh, see what uh, see what question you have for Matt. I I get to name the two Big Ten schools. Okay. <laughs> when we do that trivia question, then Matt can do the rest. Uh, right. It wasn't so, Penn State. They got swept in the uh, uh, two-game series my right. senior year. So, yeah, um, I get those two. But, hey, you know, Matt, here's the first question off the top, and I've been asked this a couple times already this morning on uh, various hits and want to get your thoughts. Do you think this retirement in, on some level is the all the changes in college football, NIL, transfer portal, 12-team playoff, and that – on some level, even though he might not say it, maybe he's fed up with it a little bit. I think that's certainly part of it. Um, you know, I remember talking to someone close to Nick Saban a couple of years ago, and this was right. It's hard to pinpoint a time because Dabo Sweeney's kind of always been like this, but it was shortly after one of Dabo Sweeney's rants about the portal and NIL and this and that. And um, so, someone I talked to regularly said, look, you all laugh at Dabo. Nick's saying the same thing. He's just not dumb enough to say it publicly. Like he's just going to retire one of these years when you least expect it because he's fed up. And I think most people in that business are. And when you're Nick Saban, you don't have to put up with it as much as everyone else does. I think the one real slip up he had publicly was calling out Jimbo Fisher in Texas A&M by name a couple of years ago, which obviously led to that little brouhaha. Um, but, you know, I thought it was pretty telling. 
I was at the Rose Bowl. Bill, were, I don't were you, were you there? I, I, I was not. I was okay, in Houston, I so I missed you in Pasadena. But I was in Houston, and I missed. I, I did miss you in Houston. I always enjoyed talking to you there. Well, sorry we were able to miss each, yeah. we, we miss each other, but yeah, the the one part to me that I, I thought pretty enlightening as someone who doesn't live in the state of Alabama but follows that program closely from a distance, they lose to, to they lose to Michigan, and uh, our friend Aaron Suttles, who now is the media coordinator for their NIL collective, posts a video basically saying, "Hey, you know, Tide fans, you know, here's where you can donate, here's how we can raise more money, yada yada yada," and you know, Alabama was getting roasted for that. You know, look at Alabama looking for money for players after they lose in the playoff. And now I was talking to some of the other Alabama writers in the hospitality suite after the game, and they're like, "Look, Matt, this is a fan base that's not used to this. Like, they're they're used to living large pre NIL. They're not used to being like, okay, now we've got to give money in order to stay on top. And I don't think that's just a fan base thing. I think that's you know a, a statewide thing, a university wide thing. I mean, when you've had that nice perch completely earned, by the way, not taking anything away from it. But when you've been the team in college football doing it a certain way for so long, and all of a sudden this this these new rules come in that kind of level the playing field a little bit, um, that's an acquired taste. And, and look, I I'm not as well versed in the NIL world to say who's doing it better than than who and whatnot. I'm sure Nick Saban Alabama had a good thing going in that department as well. But certainly when you look at that among the many other changes in the sport right now. Um, to go to go with the fact that he's 72 years old, uh, I'm sure all of it in some small way contributed to this decision. Yes, that kind of leads me to my question. Well, scale of one to ten. Ten, shocking. One, not shocking at all. Where were you yesterday? Six, seven. Like I was shocked when I saw the news. It's not like I woke up yesterday expected this news to drop. And everything we hear about Nick Saban throughout the day, he was interviewing. You know for positions and he was on sec coaches calls. Like he was going about business, his business as usual yesterday. So for, for, for it to drop yesterday was certainly shocking. I, I will say August 23rd on the inside zone, my number one bold prediction for the year was Nick saving was going to retire at the end of the year after winning a national title. We'll forget that second part. Although he came closer than I think a lot of us would have guessed a few months ago. Uh, so I, you know, it went the way I thought it would go whenever this was going to go down. Um, that doesn't make it any less surprising you throw in the fact that Pete Carroll and Bill Belichick kind of sandwiched him in that retirement or firing in Bill Belichick's case, probably um, news news cycle. It's it's a lot to take for a football fan who grew up really you know watching worshiping at the altar of those three guys. Uh, so it, it, look, any way you slice it, it's definitely surprising. But we knew this day was eventually going to come. So for me, in were you so talking to people in Houston? I you know, made my way around, as you know. I maybe made my way around to a drink or two on the way, but uh, um, the general consensus was he was coming back. You know, there was he's not retiring. He's he's not going to do this. Do you think he stays in the college game in some way over whether it's game day or? I was thinking, you know, wouldn't he be kind of the perfect guy to be? a leadership role of some sort as we get into this 12-team college football playoff rate era, maybe even on the committee at some point. I, I was saying, if he's not on an ESPN set at some point next season, it'll be a bigger upset than anything, <laughs> any upset his Crimson Tide ever faced on the field. Uh, he, he speaks in a very monotone nature, but when he speaks, you listen. He is such a great public speaker, and he's so good on those game day sets that you know he's got an open invitation for a job on one of the 
next year. Now, does he want to do that every week? Probably not. But I, I would expect to see you know plenty of him publicly in that realm next season. As far as what he does next, I don't know, right? Like I'm sure he'll have some say in who succeeds him. They're not going to, I think, keep him completely in the dark here. Um, will he be around kind of in the shadows in the background the way Coach K is at Duke right now? I don't know. Um, you know, he, he doesn't strike me as a guy who's just going to go retire to a beach somewhere and just relax the rest of his life. Like, I just don't think that's in his nature. So I'm sure he'll be around the sport in some capacity. And I know uh, all of us at one point or another over the last decade have said, hey, college football needs a commissioner. And who would be better to run the sport than Nick Saban? That sounds great in theory. I don't think that's actually going to, to happen or anything like that. Um, but but I, I expect we'll still see plenty of them. I mean, 72, he's still a young man, you know, at least for his age. I mean, the guy damn near won another national title last week. So, Bill, I so this is uh, before Bill went off to Houston. Uh, one of the story ideas I had for him was to go around to all the national media guys, 10, 12 guys, and just do an informal, anonymous survey. Who should be the Alabama coach? Who should be the Al- next Alabama coach? And Bill's like, all right, yeah, that's good to do whatever. And then, Bill, you pick up the story from here. What happened when you started talking to people about it? Well, I talked, you know, Brett McMurphy and I are friends. And Brett said, you know, I can hold Brett to this too. Brett was like, yeah, he's not going anywhere. We were literally talking about it. And, <laughs> uh, you know, Reese Davis and I, I bumped into him at Media Day. And he said, yeah. And the way he couched it, I liked. He said, to even name somebody else now would be disrespecting what Nick has done. And, you know, so my thought was, ah, Bill, we're not running that. Uh, you know, there's no way he's retiring. And then, of course, met my son's basketball practice last night. And I was like, you're kidding me. <laughs> and, and the traffic was bad on the way home, but we got the content done. Um, yeah, I mean, so that that's kind of where I'm at with that, Bill. Is it, Matt, we talked about the surprise level, but generally, and Mike DeCourcy wrote about this for us, they have a plan in place. Do you think Alabama had a has slash had a plan in place for this to happen. I think Greg Byrne has been there long enough and has been in the business long enough. Like any good athletic director, he's got a list and he's got a game plan of attack, whether it's in a file cabinet somewhere or in the back of his brain of this guy's not going to coach forever. I'm going to have a big decision to make whenever he retires. Let's, you know, now it's time to activate it. And I, I will say to back up for a minute, I don't think Nick Saban's getting enough credit here. He's retiring at the top of his game. I mean, how many of these older coaches who had so much success in a previous life just hang on because they don't want to give it up? And it never ends well, ever. Even Jim Beheim last year uh, at Syracuse. It was an awkward exit. It should have been better. Um, so so credit to Nick Saban for, for walking out on his own terms and making this a lot easier on everybody. Uh, you know, he's been doing this at such a high level for so long that I'm sure if we regurgitated some of the past lists and, and similar stories we had over the years we get a good laugh out of them. I mean, his coaching tree is so big that I'm sure for much of that time, we thought, Oh, it'll be Steve Sarkeesian or Kirby smart, or, you know, you know, someone who worked for him, Billy Napier. Um, you look around right now. I mean, Kirby smart's not leaving Georgia. I remember broaching this topic with someone, um, a search firm guy last summer. And I brought up Sark and he's like, Sark wins big this year. He's got a better job at Texas than he does in Alabama, which is true. And they're going to the sec. So it's Alabama. It's a huge job. There's a lot of pressure, but these guys have egos and they all think and want, think they can win big there and want to win big there. So it's not like it's hard to find a good candidate there, but when you really hone in on it, especially at this time of the year and you look at the financials, 
um, I think you're looking at a select group of maybe five candidates or so, right? Um, if this was a couple of years down the line, I thought maybe he'd put the whistle on Tommy Reese's neck and deem him as his coaching waiting or something like that. I don't know at the age of 31 if that's going to happen now, although I do know Dick Saban thinks very fondly of him and I, I believe is meeting with him this week to, to, to go over kind of future plans. Um, Dan Lanning, I think, is in a similar boat. He's 37. He was a GA at Alabama in 2015. He's a popular name now. Um, when he elected to stay at Oregon in the fall, you know, in the back of my mind, I thought, you know, that's an, that could be the next Alabama coach one day. But again, I'm thinking about that two, three years down the road. I don't know. I mean, if you're looking between him and Kalen DeBoer, I mean, Kalen DeBoer is better, plain and simple. Uh, I'm not saying he's a better fit down south, but the guy's 3-0 against him. He's got a better overall record, and he took over a much worse situation at the exact same time th- than Landing did at Oregon. Uh, two guys I really would keep an eye on. One one a bigger fish than the other. Um, Dabo Sweetie, I, I still think you can't ignore him. Um, I know he's not the flavor of the month he would have been three years ago. Uh, but I also think that might make him more receptive to the idea because I would have two, three years ago said he's at Clemson for life. He'd be stupid to leave. Now, you know, you see the Tyler from Spartanburg calls, you see some frustration. Um, it's home for him, right? Like that's going to be a very, very hard call for him to ignore if they pick up the phone. Uh, the other guy who I think would be a home run and the last 24 hours or so, I, I've convinced myself that I think he will be the guy is Mike Norvell. Um, Guy's one big everywhere he's been. He completely renovated Florida State. It took him four years to, to take them from a losing program to a program that ran the table this season. And let's face it, I know Florida State fans don't want to hear this, but Florida State thinks they hit their ceiling in the ACC, which is why they're trying to get out of the ACC. I'm sure Mike Norvell experiences some of that, right? And he's got to be looking around himself at the, the uncertain future of that program. And the fact that, look, I just went undefeated here and I got left out of the playoff because of Alabama. That's not going to happen at Alabama. And I'm going to have better players at Alabama. And I know I'm one of the best recruiters in the country and you get those players at Alabama. So that's, I think, if you're asking me for one name right now on January 11th, if I had to handicap this thing, I think Mike Norvell would be the guy. But but there's certainly other worthy candidates. And again, I have to imagine Nick Saban's going to have a pretty strong say in this thing. Yeah, I like the theory, the ACC theory. That goes for Dabo, too, I think. Sure. Um, you know, getting into the SEC. My theory is is Saban or Alabama wanted Sark as their number one guy. And I think – I don't think Saban decided yesterday he was going to retire. I think he's known for a little while. It's my guess. This is all guessing, but I think he's known. <clears throat> I think he – would have had an opportunity to say it after winning the SEC championship that I'm stepping down after the college football playoff. And if they had targeted, if they had targeted Dan Lanning and he announced that in the first week of December, right. And it motivates his team, you know, whatever gets a little attention on that. Um, not that he necessarily seeks attention like that, but I think it could have been used in a positive way for Alabama and I think Lanning may have left Oregon before the Fiesta Bowl, and they wouldn't have had this awkward month of in limbo and that kind of thing of, of whatever. Whereas if Sark is their number one guy and Saban knows he wants to leave after the college football playoff and Sark's in the playoff, you can't announce that the first week of sure. December. You have to wait and because if you do, it, it becomes almost a Notre Dame situation with Luke Fickle and Marcus Freeman, and they right. couldn't wait for Fickle, and they, they hired Freeman. 
and they were in control of when they were going to announce it. So that's my amateur theory is that they're going to do their best to get Sark. You make good points as to why they might not get him, but I still think that's going to be the number one stop. And then if the roulette stops on Norvell, that wouldn't be shocking either. I, I, I can follow that logic completely. It makes sense. I just, especially he just beat him. You know what I mean? This year. And they're going into the sec next year. I just think, I mean, let me ask you guys, this, I, I'm not saying this as a, it's a tribute, the right or wrong answer. Do you think Alabama's a top five job? Yeah, I think it cannot be one pretty right. quick. That's the Texas is a top five job right. all the time, every day. So I, I, I'm leaning a little more toward if I'm Steve Sarkeesian, why would I leave what I've built for three years? I finally broke through. I went to the playoff. I'm winning one score games. I've got a ton of talent. I, I was one play away from beating Washington. Um, and they may have beaten Michigan. Who knows? That Why would I go be the guy? I, I, and that's, I guess, part of my question. Why be the guy that follows the guy? Because, I mean, rather this is Ray Perkins following Bear Bryant. I mean, how many can we run down, Matt, where the guy that followed the guy <laughs> right. didn't work out? Um, one, thing with, one, one thing with Sark, uh, one thing with Sark is that he did the, that pattern with the Washington-USC thing where he was the offensive coordinator at USC, head coach at Washington, went back to be head coach at USC. And uh, if, if, he, if he were to be the next Alabama coach, how many people in the history of humanity would be able to say, I was the head coach at USC, Washington, Texas, and Alabama? And oh, by the way, to this point, still hasn't won a title at any of them. Well, I got, all that successful at two of them. Well, there's a, a guy that coached at Tennessee and the Raiders and was a coordinator <laughs> at Alabama and – coached at Florida Atlantic and is now currently at Ole Miss who took a Benjamin Button career path now. So that's going to be my way of asking you, Matt. We've talked about Dabo and Sark and Norvell, which is a good one. And um, here's the other one, Lane. Is is there any traction possibility that Lane Kiffin is Alabama's next coach? I would think there's some possibility there, um, you know, for all the Butt chewings or what do you want to call it between the two? Like, I do believe there's a mutual respect there. And really this year, I think the timing works in Lane Kiffin's favor. I, I mean, look what Ole Miss did this year. Look what they did at Penn State, the number one defense in the country in the Peach Bowl. I mean, not that there was any ever any doubt about Lane Kiffin's coaching chops, but I don't know if he had a true signature win in his career. Since no, he was over Oregon, you know, which was in 2011 before they beat LSU this year. Um, the guy had a hell of a year and he's got a really good team coming back. Um, so I, I, I think, you know, he's eliminated any doubt about how good he is at this job. Is he the guy to succeed saving? I just think that would be such an acquired taste for everyone there, even though they know him, it would be such a departure from the buttoned up approach and process like approach that we've come to know. Right. I mean, you got one guy who's not on social media versus another guy who, retweets everything and whatnot. Mm. I, I just have a hard time seeing it happening. I'm not saying it can't happen. I'm not saying he wouldn't be great there. I just have a really hard time, especially when you look at that coaching tree to say, you know what, of all the guys that have worked at Alabama under Nick Saban, that's the one who's going to replace him. I just have a hard time seeing it happen. How is Saban viewed by college football fans across the country? Like when I say that, I mean, you know, people resent Alabama one and one and one and one and one. 
He wasn't one to troll opponents like Spurrier, for example, or, you know, stir the pot like Lane Kiffin does on social media, like you just mentioned. So he didn't necessarily make enemies that way. You know, was it just an Alabama fatigue type of situation? And, 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 you know, by and large, you know, at retirement here, when people are talking about him, they will talk favorably about Nick Saban. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Um, like you said, I mean, outside of LSU, for obvious reasons, I don't think there's any true, like, animosity toward him, right? It's a begrudging respect. I mean, we want Bama. You see that sign in every stadium, at every game day, every tailgate, anywhere you go in the country, because that was a gold standard throughout Nick Saban's time there. And I don't know if we'll see a program. I think Kirby Smart has a chance at Georgia, but I don't know if we'll see a program just lord over the sport for a decade plus and win six-plus national titles the way Alabama did under Nick Saban. I mean, there's so many parts of college football today that I think we take for granted that all started in Tuscaloosa, right? Like bloated staffs, analysts. Like we, none of us knew what analyst was 10, 15 years ago. Like now you've got analysts who are former head coaches who, you know, again – for the most part, got their start working for Nick Saban. Huge recruiting departments. Uh, exposing NCAA recruiting loopholes a lot of the times. He was very good at that. Uh, the process. I mean, again, that's second nature now. Everyone says that. Everyone uses it. Nick Saban started it. Uh, having motivational speakers come in from other from non-football parts, from the military, from uh, the media, you name it. All that seemed to start with Nick Saban in Tuscaloosa. He was just so forward-thinking with everything he does. I mean, even – at the things he was maybe a little slower to adapt to. He, he caught up real quick. I mean, remember uh, when Gus Malzahn came in with the hurry up, no huddle, and that was causing Alabama some problems. And Nick Saban gave the infamous quote, you know, is this what we want football to be? And I think a lot of people rolled their eyes at the time and said, you know, quit being a dinosaur, you know, adapt or die. And, and with the benefit of hindsight, I look at that as Nick Saban saying like, no, is this what we want football to be? Cause we'll, we'll do it and we'll do it better than you. Trust me. <laughs> and sure enough, they went out and did that, right? They got Jalen Hurts. They got Tua Tonga Viola. You know, they were winning national titles in a very old-fashioned way during the BCS era, kind of the way Michigan just did it uh, against them. You know, these past couple of weeks uh, in the playoff era, they completely adapted. The guy had Alabama did not have a Heisman Trophy winner before he got there. He coached four at three different positions. My favorite stat, and they put out plenty in the press release, and most of them we probably can recite off the top of our head. Forty-nine first-round NFL draft picks in his career, and that number will probably grow with this year's class and some of the other classes still there. Uh, his his Alabama players have made more than $2 billion in the NFL. Everyone got rich off this guy. Everyone. How many coaches in the SEC and elsewhere got fired because they couldn't beat this guy? How many school presidents reinvested or found a new devotion to athletics because they saw the impact that Nick Saban and Alabama football had on the city of Tuscaloosa, the University of Alabama, and the state of Alabama. I told Bill that you could make, and and we walked through it, you could make a NFL team of Alabama players and go to the oh, playoffs. Easily. 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 I mean, if we, we were to sit here and say an all-saving team, we'd be here all day. <laughs> yeah, we may be working on one of those, by the way. But uh, <laughs> no, I said, you may run to, in the, well, I mean, like O.J. Howard. I was like, well, they don't have a tight end. Well, you could put O.J. Howard there and go four wide with, Judy and Waddle and I mean Devontae Smith, you're fine. You have Jalen Hurts. You could alternate Hurts and Tua if you want. Like Cooper, Nick like, right? Amari Cooper. Hurts can do the short yardage for you. Yeah, they can do that, and and it's just they're the only team that can do that. Like Georgia has holes, and and Ohio State has holes, and Michigan will send a ton of guys to the NFL draft this year, but they will have holes on that like 
NFL All-American. And, and the way I would put it is you could say, well, Nick Saban had all the best players. That's why he won. No, he maximized what he had out of all of the best players better than anybody's ever done it for longer. He got the best players. I mean, look, he got the best players. It's a great job. And we, you know, I would say it probably is a top five job, but Georgia's better, right? Texas is better. I'd argue USC, LSU, and Ohio State at least have an argument to be better. Um, Like there's talent there and there's football passion and devotion and resources like no other. But, you know, when Clemson got good kind of out of nowhere under Dabo Sweeney, I remember thinking, Let's face it, Clemson's a better geographical location than Tuscaloosa is as far as access to talent. Um, it might not be the football hotbed and, and historic power that Alabama is, but they're two hours from anywhere. They, they get someone on campus. They don't leave. They commit. Alabama, you're fighting with everyone in the SEC. And again, there's talent in Alabama, but it's not like you're in a suburb of Atlanta the way Georgia essentially is. Right. My favorite Nick Saban stat is in his 17 years at Alabama – the Crimson Tide reached number one in the AP poll 15 times out of 17 years. Missed it his first year. Missed it actually this year, his last year. Georgia and, uh, and Michigan and Ohio State were all up there. Uh, they, they only got to three this year. So that was a time to hang That's it up. You're tiring. You can't do it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. Well, thanks, Matt, for making time for us. Let's get back to the Trochi trivia question and see how many of the eight non-SEC teams that we can name uh, that beat Alabama and Nick Saban during the last 17 years. I'm going to cross Clemson off my list, the only two-time winner. Uh, Bill, give me uh, give me your first two, then we'll go Fortuna back and forth. Seven left then, if Clemson's off? Correct. Well, I'll, I mean, like I said, I reserve the right to take Ohio State and Michigan. Because- Ohio State and Michigan. Both in the CFP, both off the list. What you got, Matt? Oklahoma, Texas. Oklahoma and Texas. There you go. Heading to the SEC now, partly probably because of Saban. We got three left. All right, I'm going to leave him the last one. Utah. Yes, Utah in the Sugar Bowl. And the infamous UL Monroe loss. UL Monroe. Matt, what you got? You got the last one? I had those seven. Like, I couldn't think of the eighth, although I know I'm it was in year one. I know it was in year one, right? Yes. Bull game. Who well, was no, it was? No, it was seven. Clemson was two, so that was eight losses, seven teams. My mistake. I think oh, I had the bull okay. game loss, and I think I have it. Florida State? Florida State during the regular season. You are correct. Florida State in year one. And so that's it. it. We, na- it wasn't the bowl we game. named them all. His uh his first year they beat Colorado I think in a bowl game. That's that's I was gonna say did they lose to Colorado? They were six and two game. they finished six. Yeah. I actually did a story a few years ago on that 2007 team and the last right. bad saving team. And it's funny because you see six wins, six or excuse me, six losses, um, ULM, and you're you're, you're hindsight's twenty twenty. You're trying to find the the breadcrumbs that showed that a dynasty was in the making. And it's funny because Greg McElroy, all the guys I talked to were like, look, we didn't lose a game by more than seven points that year. And that sounds like coach speak, right? Every new coach says, look how close we are. And in this case, it was true. Because <laughs> the <laughs> next year, they damn near won the whole thing. You didn't see a 16-year run of absolute dominance coming after uh, after a 7-6 and six season? It's, on, uh, but by the way, can, can I add one more? I heard this one during the Rose Bowl when, when you said your favorite stat. Um, Michigan was the favorite favorite in the Rose Bowl over Alabama. 
last time Nick Saban was an underdog to someone not named Georgia. Oh, wow. Oh, I, I think I would get it. Like, it, it was probably Urban, Florida. The Tebow cry game. Yes. And they, won. And, they, and they won. So here, and then before we let you go, Matt, I have one quick Alabama story from this whole thing. I was at a sports bar in 2007, and there were all these Alabama people in the bar with like, they were, they had like stuffed animal elephants with them and, and all these things. And we were watching them play Houston. I don't remember if you remember this game against Houston in 07, they should have lost. They ended up winning 30 to 24 and an Alabama fan came up to me and my buddy and we had big 10 stuff on, as you can imagine, we were rooting for Houston to win actively, as you can imagine. Um, <laughs> but uh, um, he said, we're, we got a dynasty coming. So he said, so whoever that guy is, wherever he is, Somewhere in Alabama. He told me that to my face. And I was like, yeah, right. I was like, but it so whoever, that guy right there, wherever he is, he, he was validated. <laughs> in that, he's probably thinking, I told that guy, um, or maybe not. But uh, incredible run, and it's crazy that we're talking about games from 16 years ago. Very good. I, I hope he put money down on that bet, if he could do that back then. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. Well, thanks, Matt, again for joining us. Thank you to everyone for listening to the CFB Nation All-America podcast brought to you by Twisted Tea on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Uh, thank you to Irish Breakdown, your source for Notre Dame football information. Enjoy the rest of your day. We're not sure when we'll see you soon. Maybe after a Jim Harbaugh, you know, stays or goes resolution there. And uh, we will enter into the 2023 offseason heading to a new frontier, which is going to be the 2024 season. So uh, everybody enjoy the rest of your day and we will see you soon. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around, a watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom, and a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style, all for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. 
And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.